If you have your Bible, you want to turn to John chapter 3, we'll be there in just a second. And uh, <clears throat> it almost seems silly to pray again since we just spent this uh, awesome little time in prayer, but I'm going to pray one more time. And I really do, the phrase humble yourself has been uh, rattling in my brain all week, and it might be just for me because I constantly have to wrestle with my prideful, sinful self. Um, but I also want to encourage you that whenever you come to the scriptures, make that your prayer. Whenever you come to the word of God, especially when it's a familiar text like this, it's, there's a trap that goes, oh, I got this. I've heard this one. Oh, I know this one. You kind of check out. Okay, open up your hearts what the Spirit has for you today in this service. Jesus, thank you for this morning. I thank you for your church. I thank you for these friends, these brothers and sisters, family. God, that you've brought us together that you've united us in your blood, not just under uh, a common way of thinking necessarily, um, not just because we um, all live in the same area, but God, you have united us together under the blood of Jesus. You've called us your own. We thank you and praise you for that. God, as, as we look at your word today, I pray that you would transform lives, that you would do the work that only you can do by your Holy Spirit, that you would save some in this room today that we would understand the fullness of what we've been called to, and God, that we would walk this beautiful calling to the glory of Christ Jesus. God, that we would abandon ourselves and that we would truly be your church. We love you, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, <clears throat> Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered, are you a teacher? Are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things that you do not believe, how can I tell you of heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. We're going to be looking at this passage over the next couple of weeks, and we're just going to get into uh, just a little bit of it today. But we're going to be looking at this over the next couple of weeks. So like I said, please invite your friends. But today we are going to look at Nicodemus. We're going to look at what it means to be born again. And as Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night, as he inquires of Jesus, because he's seeing the works, he's seeing the, the signs, the miracles, the things that Jesus is doing, he is inquisitive. He wants to know more about this man. 
Most of us know that Nicodemus is a Pharisee. We know what Pharisees are like. We know much about them given all the information that is in uh, the New Testament about the Pharisees. We're pretty familiar with who they are, I think. But let's just refresh for a moment, right? These are some of the strictest followers of the Mosaic Law. They are the teachers, the rulers of the law, and they are some of the most devout followers and believers of the law that you could find. They've developed an extensive set of oral uh, extensions of the law that go beyond, that help um, maintain their religious identity and maintain their piety. They like to add extra things onto the law to help maintain their distinction and their holiness. Pharisee comes from an Aramaic word, actually. It means to separate, to divide, to distinguish. And if you think about the Pharisees, they were really good at doing that. They were good at separating themselves from the common man, separating themselves from the world, separating themselves from those who were not quite as clean as they were because of their righteous deeds. They were constantly questioning and grilling Jesus, testing him, demanding to know by what authority does he operate. Do you remember um, what Jesus said about the Pharisees? Think about the woes in Matthew chapter 23. Verse 1, it says this, Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe what they tell you. Okay, He says, do and observe what the Pharisees tell you, what the scribes and the Pharisees tell you, but, the work, but not the works. They do, for they preach, but they do not practice. Okay, So they do not practice what they preach. Do what they tell you, because they sit on Moses' seat, but do not do what they do. Verse 4 says, They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear. And they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their uh, flag, uh, trees, I can't, excuse me, <laughs> broad and their fringes long. They used to actually have um, fringe on their robes. They called it tzitzit. Right? And the longer the fringe, the holier they were. They loved the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. But you are to not be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And no man, your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. In verse 13, if you jump down a little bit, it says this, But woe to you Pharisees and scribes, you hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves or allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, but then become, once they become that, you make them twice as much a child of hell as yourself. As he goes on, in verse 16, he calls these, these scribes and Pharisees, he calls them blind guides. As you go on in 17, he calls them blind fools. Continues on and he calls them blind one more time in verse 19. 
these scribes and Pharisees, these hypocrites, these ones who put heavy burdens on the people, they themselves don't do it. They preach, but they don't practice what they preach, and they just like to be seen by other people. They do everything for themselves, everything for their prestige, everything for their own acclaim, and not for the glory of Christ. As I push that against Pastor Tommy's message from last week, he pointed out how Jesus didn't, uh, didn't entrust himself to the crowds, right? People came, and they came to see him because they saw his marvelous deeds, but yet he did not entrust himself to that. And Pastor Tommy talked extensively how we have these relationships in our lives that are challenging at times. And sometimes we live for the acclaim of man. Sometimes we live for the approval of man, but Jesus moved and operate out of the glory of the Father to live the mission, the purpose that he was given by the Father to not entrust himself to the acclaim of man. The Pharisees are very different. They want to be seen by others. They want the pat on the back. They want to be praised and honored. But Nicodemus seems to be a little different here. It seems as though God is doing something in his heart and mind and he comes to acquire and it almost seems like his eyes are opening just a little bit, right? Jesus calls the Pharisees blind fools, blind guides, but maybe, just maybe, Nicodemus' eyes are being opened a little bit. It seems that the signs of Jesus, the miracles that he's been doing, is drawing in Nicodemus to find out more. In verse 2 it says this, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus comes by night. It's easy to read right over that, but it is significant just in that. Why would Nicodemus come by night? Why would he come under the cover of darkness? Why would he come essentially in secret? Some people think that maybe Nicodemus was a spy sent by the Pharisees. But when you look at the overall tone and the way that Nicodemus came and why he came and the questions he asked, it's unlikely that he was a spy just trying to get information, get dirt on Jesus that they could bring up later. But almost that God was doing something in Nicodemus' heart makes a few declarations that we know, we know, the Pharisees know that Jesus is unique, that no one can do what he does. The Pharisees can see it. They can all see it, but they can't quite yet grasp the truth of that Jesus is the Christ. He calls him rabbi. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God. This distinguished teacher, Nicodemus, this ruler of the law, respectfully calls him rabbi, acknowledges this authority in which he speaks and acts. He says that he's from God and that God is with him. But this understanding, this confession seems to fall a little bit short. He sees the signs, he sees the miracles. It tells Nicodemus that Jesus is from God, but that seems to be where the revelation falls a little bit short. Jesus responds to him in verse 3. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is confused. He says, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? 
Jesus answers, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel when I say you must be born again. It's like Jesus is breaking it down plainly for him. There's an element of, of nature here, this, this natural um, law that's in place, right? Flesh can only give birth to flesh. It's like saying a duck only gives birth to a duck. A fish only has a fish. Like people can only have people. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. That's why I've encouraged you in the past, okay? We cannot accomplish that can only be done in the spirit by fleshly means. That's why prayer is so vitally important. There's so much of church, so much particularly of American church, that is done just simply in the flesh. We can explain so much about church just by the strategies and things that we do, the things that we put in place, the programs and strategies we have in place. And what we end up with is religion. What we end up with is just programs, just things we do, but salvation comes by the Spirit of God alone. Right? We have Nicodemus, a ruler of the law. Somebody who knows the Scriptures well. Jesus looks at him, even him, and says, you must be changed. You must be born again. He breaks it down plainly. The flesh gives birth to flesh. The spirit gives birth to spirit. And he said, you will not see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. And it makes me think back to Matthew chapter 23 when he's talking to the scribes and the Pharisees and he calls them blind. You blind guides, you blind fools. Right? He's speaking of heaven, yes. You're not going to see heaven. You will not get to heaven unless you're born again. But you're not even going to be able to comprehend the kingdom of God unless your eyes are opened by the Spirit of God. These blind guides, blinded by their dangerous, haughty pride. Pride is so sneaky and so dangerous. So blinding. Blinded by their evil and gross hypocrisy, demanding things from others, but yet not practicing what they know to be true, not practicing what they preach. Weighing, uh, putting the, the burdensome yoke of the law, the weighty, weighty burden on their followers, and yet not doing it themselves. Jesus says, You must be born again. He's just simply explaining what salvation is. And even what it's not. Something that a ruler of the Jews, something that this Pharisee Nicodemus should probably know, as he says in verse 10. But by the Spirit of God, it seems that something is happening in Nicodemus. That his eyes are being opened to the kingdom. This kingdom that comes when Christ establishes his throne in our hearts. I think it was pretty cool the way that Josh prayed earlier, right? That Jesus would come and be enthroned. That we would see the greatness that we sang about today. And that we would enthrone him. Like Jesus, like we always phrase it this way. Like, would you like to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Right? I'll just, just a clue. Just like, 
If he's not Lord, he's not Savior, by the way. Like a lot of times we like to put that in there. Like we want him as Savior, right? We want that fire insurance, as some preachers say, right? This, it's going to get me out of heaven, the get out of jail free card. We want that, but yet we have this real struggle with that little throne, that little throne that's on our hearts going, okay, who's got that? Who's, who's, who's king of the hill right here? But we have to enthrone him, right? And we will only do that when our hearts are moved, changed, transformed by the Spirit of God. To enthrone him. The kingdom of God come in our hearts, yet not fully realized when we see him, until we see him face to face. The Bible talks a lot about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, juxtaposed against the kingdom of this world. Right? We're the first, our last, the last, our first. Matthew chapter 13 speaks of the kingdom of heaven through so many different parables, whether it be the wheat and the tares in verse 24, the mustard seed, the leaven, the hidden treasure, the pearl of great price. Right? The, the, the kingdom of heaven is like this. One of my favorites is that pearl of great price. The matchless worth of the kingdom of heaven. The matchless worth where you're going to sell it all, right? The, the, the treasure hidden in a field. I'm going to sell it all just so I can attain resurrection from the dead. The glorious Savior Jesus Christ. Pharisee 2, this Pharisee 2, Nicodemus, had to be born again. This, morning, uh, this, this week, thinking about this, um, I, I was struck by a thought, and I think it's probably God's sovereignty that uh, we're talking about new birth on Mother's Day. Like, what, um, what role did you play in your birth? What role did you play in it? Like, what role? Like, probably not a lot, right? Actually, I saw this really disturbing image flying around um, social media this week, and it was like this wooden board cut out with all these different holes in it like different size holes. You probably saw this. Some of you saw this. I know you saw this. I can see the smiles, right? Different size holes starting like one centimeter, two centimeters, three centimeters, all the way up to 10 centimeters. This 10 centimeters, like it's, it's just a piece of wood with holes in it. And it says, this is 10 centimeters. Buy your mom something nice. Okay? But what role did you play in your own birth? Right? Did you, did you help out in some way? Did you, in like seeing mom struggle, seeing your mom in such pain because like experiencing like the, the, the curse of sin, right, in childbirth with compassion and love in your hearts, did you help out in some way? Nope. You and your big head just laid there. <laughs> that was it. You did nothing. You did very little in your first birth. And it is God who brings about our second birth. See, a lot of times we think we're just going to like self-determination and I'm just going to figure it out and I'm just going to do the right things and whatever. But it is the Spirit of God that gives birth to Spirit. It is God himself who makes us alive. John chapter 1, something Dan preached on in the first week of this series. Verse 11 says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But here it is. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Born of God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He 
has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept for you in heaven, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Praise be to God. It is he who has caused us to be born again in all that that affords us, the wonderful inheritance we have in Jesus because we are now children of God. John chapter 6, verse 63 says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. How much clearer can that be? The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who would betray him. He said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father, the Spirit of God, illuminating the words of God that would actually bear life in our soul and in our hearts. See, the world has it wrong. The world is selling us lies over and over and over again. And one of the biggest lies the enemy of our soul has sold the world is that the answer lies within yourself. The answer lies within yourself that we are generally good people, that we have good hearts. And if we just dig in, if we just dig in a little deeper and we stay true to ourselves, we will find the answer within us. It's a lie fed to us by the enemy of our soul. The scriptures tell us a different story, that there is no one righteous, no, not one, that we, like sheep, have gone astray. We are not the answer. We, in fact, are our own problem. Our flesh and our human fleshly nature is the problem, and the answer is Jesus and his Holy Spirit making us brand new creatures. Mark chapter 7, verse 21 says, From within, for from within, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. That's already in you. That's our flesh. Helpless. In and of ourselves, we are. We need a great Redeemer to awaken our souls, to make us new, to make us alive together with Christ. It is by His grace that we are saved, not in ourselves, so that no man can boast. It is His work in us. You must be born again. We need the Spirit of God to lead us and guide us into the truth of God. See, it's by his word. 1 Peter chapter 1 reminds us that we've been born again through the living and abiding word. Let's read it together. Verse 22 says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere and brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Okay, that's not, we're not doing that to earn anything here. That's the result because since you've been born again, okay, we've been born again, so love each other. We've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. It's one thing I love about the word. 
You know, it seems really basic, right, when you just you tell people to pray and to read the Bible, but it really is the lifeline. And like when you read the stats of like American Christians and the amount of time that they spend in prayer and reading the Bible, it's staggering. It's like last resort kind of stuff. We always talk about this, like, oh, all you can do is pray. Like we just exhaust all of our fleshly means, all of our efforts, everything, whatever. And then we just like, okay, why, why? Why? What we're trying to accomplish here is supernatural. What we're trying to do here is not fleshly, but it is by the Spirit of God. So why do we not pray? Spend time in the Word, the living and abiding Word. Spirit of God revealing the Word of God, the truth of God bringing life, causing us to be followers, disciples, obedient doers of the Word. It's two things that I want to remind you of here when I look at Nicodemus' life about the truth of the new birth. Okay? First one is this. It's not a better religion. Just so you know. What we're calling you to is just not a better religion. See, Nicodemus was better than you. <laughs> Nicodemus was better than me. Nicodemus did more right things than I do. Nicodemus read and memorized way more scripture than I do. He went to church, he went to synagogue way more often than you do. He taught others in the law and the prophets. He had followers and disciples of his own. And he needed not a new thing, but he needed to be made new himself. Okay? We're not talking about a different or better religion we're talking about you becoming new. See, we don't need a new thing. We need to be the new thing. It's not merely a new and better religion, not merely a new and better philosophy, or not even merely a new and better commitment to discipline. We need a new birth. See, when you read the scriptures, when you read this book, when you read the Holy Bible, I don't want you to merely think, I need to be better. Okay? I want you to think, I need Jesus. Okay? That's the beautiful thing about this. That's, that, is the, that is the part of the law, the part of the law that is still so valuable because it shows us where we fall short. It shows us our sinfulness. It shows us our vileness, our grossness. But what it also shows us is Jesus our Redeemer, the one who came and, and, and removes our sin, the one who came in blood, covers and atones for our sin, and that he, in fact, is our righteousness. So when you read the scriptures, I don't want you to think, oh, I need to be better. I want you to think, oh, I need Jesus. I need his Holy Spirit. when you ingest this living and abiding word, when you engage the Holy Spirit of God and new birth happens, your cravings change. Your appetites change. One of the things that we pointed out in the Psalm series is um, that the word soul in the, in the Hebrew is nephesh. And it actually meets, means the seat of our appetite, the seat of our desires, the soul of a man. It's the seat in which we desire. And so when he transforms us and changes us, that appetite changes. Have you ever done a, a sugar detox? You ever put yourself through that little bit of torture? 
Like the first couple weeks are, goodness, they're horrible. Headaches, lethargy, like you want to be grumpy, like do a detox. But once you get beyond, it gets pretty good. You start feeling light, I feel sprite, I feel young again. It's pretty cool. I'm not all inflamed all the time. And then when you go back to that sugar after you've detoxed for a while, right? You've got that can of Mountain Dew in your hand. You're like, you take that sip. It's like, gross. Syrupy. It's, right? Because there's a transformation. Like your, your appetite has changed. And so for you and I, when we are made new, see, a lot of times we're just like, oh, I need to be better. Oh, I messed up again. Oh, I fell into sin again. Like, get your nose in the book. Get your nose in the word. Spend time with the Holy Spirit because what happens is, is he transforms you and then the next time you take a bite of that sin, it doesn't taste quite as sweet. Right? But instead, we just focus on, I got to just do better. I got to like, just oh, get away from that. Instead of like actually diving into the Spirit of God, we will not accomplish in the flesh what can only be accomplished by the Spirit. So the first thing I want you to know is that we don't need a better religion. The second thing I want you to realize in Nicodemus here is that Nicodemus saw the signs. Nicodemus saw the miracles, right? He comes to Jesus by night and he says, Hey, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God because no one can do the things you do. No one can do the signs you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus sees He notices and he acknowledges the supernatural. He acknowledges God. God is at work. And Jesus says, you must be born again. So it is not enough for us to stand at arm's length and just acknowledge and just see, just uh, point to and say, yeah, God is here. God's doing stuff. But we need to not just observe and acknowledge the supernatural, but Jesus himself is saying, you need the supernatural in you. And there's so many times where I look at the church, where I look at the American church, and I go, we've got a bunch of people filling seats that I think are just observers. They're just observing at arm's length the supernatural power of the living God. And we'll acknowledge it, Oh, man, it's got to be Jesus. It's got to be the Holy Spirit. We sit there at arm's length, sitting in our flesh, and I wonder, are we born again? And even as I say that, like that phrase, like maybe depending on your background, maybe that phrase even has some connotations. You're like, oh. I remember growing up, some people calling some of my, one of my uncles in particular, uh, a born again, Jesus freak kind of person. I, it's plain, like, you have to be. We got to be. Embrace that. Be one of those born-agains. It's the only way. We cannot be saved unless we are born again. I don't want us to be observers and even acknowledgers of the supernatural of God. We must have his Holy Spirit change us, transform us, Some of us, we've been mere observers. Acknowledging his spirit, acknowledging his power, but living at arm's length to transformation that comes by his spirit. As we wrap up this morning, invite the band to come. We'll sing in just a few minutes again. 
my question for you today, even, even you church people, is are you born again? Are you born again? We're going to look at this a little bit more over the next couple of weeks, and even, we'll even jump into 1 John probably and look at some of that, talking about how um, those who are born again are marked by certain things. Have you allowed the Holy Spirit of God to make you brand new? Or are you just striving and trying to be a better person? You don't need a better religion. By all means, please do not just be an observer. Be born again. If he's prompting you today, I would implore you to repent, to turn, and to humble yourself before your God and say, Jesus, I need you. Holy Spirit, I need you to make me new. I need to be made new by the Spirit of God. Change my appetites. Change my desires. Give me a hunger and thirst for your word. And experience salvation in a life that is vibrant because it is um, not just energy and activity, but it's vibrant because the Spirit of God is living in us. So let's pray and then in song and even in prayer in your seats, respond to the Holy Spirit today. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for my friends. God, I pray for salvation. I pray for your Holy Spirit. God, for those in this room that have been merely religious, living at arm's length from you, God, I pray that you would make them new today, that your Holy Spirit would fill them right now. God, that you would empower them to reject their flesh, to reject the kingdom of this world, that their eyes would be open to the kingdom of God, the beauty of Christ, the surpassing worth, the greatest treasure. God, that you would enable them to be a disciple and a follower of you. Truly, truly, truly. God, for friends in this room, God, that maybe they're hearing about salvation for the first time, God, transform them and change them. Lead them into a beautiful relationship with you. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be over them that you would change them, transform them. God, that you would confirm salvation in their hearts, that they would know that they are children of God, that there is a great inheritance awaiting. We thank you for your word. God, continue to change us and let us live to the glory of your name. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond in song. Let's sing together.